We need to look beyond what is right in front of us and just look outwards. My children were away at university and I immediately said, come, come and stay at my place. Come and stay with me. I hope that if my children ever go abroad and, and something goes wrong, that they would find somebody. Somebody would find them and say, come. Yeah. You know, and, and that has been a real blessing to be able to say, that could be my child. The change that you want to see begins with you. You or we are agents of change. Don't expect somebody else to do it. Don't leave it for yeah. somebody else. Hello and welcome back to Floodlight, the podcast from us here at the Anti-Slavery Collective. We're committed to helping to eradicate what's still a huge problem that affects every one of us. Around 50 million people are enslaved across the world, across all sorts of demographics, locations and societies. But it's a problem we can solve together. That's what we're committed to doing at The Collective, raising awareness and bringing like-minded people together who are as passionate about tackling this crisis as we are. Thank you so much for listening in. Joining us this week is an incredible woman, Rose Hudson-Wilkin. Rose is the first black woman to become a Church of England bishop, and she's gone on to hold positions as the Queen's chaplain and the Speaker's chaplain. We spoke to Rose about how the church has become a vital part of the support system available for survivors of modern slavery. She also talks to us about how she looks out for so many people in her own community and the hope we can all share in making the world a brighter place. You are going to love this episode, so let's get into it. Well, Rose, it's so amazing to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us in person for our podcast. Good to um, be with you. Yeah, we're really, really honoured. And um, and we'd love just for you to share a little bit about your background with mm. our listeners and, and how you how it is you came to be the great Bishop of Dover that we all know and <laughs> love. I always introduce myself by saying that I was lucky to have been born and brought up in Montego Bay, Jamaica. And the reason I say that is because growing up, I saw images of myself in all walks of life, walking down the street in the shop windows, there are images that looks like me on the cover of books. Again, uh, people in positions of responsibility, there I am. And so it meant that I grew up with a certain confidence that I am and, and that I could become whatever I wanted to be. And that's really important. Yeah. Did you always want to be a priest? Yes, always wanted to be a priest. I uh, am, refer to myself as a cradle Anglican, baptized at three months within the Anglican church. And, uh, you know, through Sunday school, involved in church life. And at about age 14, this overwhelming sense that this is what I should be. But of course, at that time, women were not allowed. Oh, really? So I was feeling this overwhelming sense of being called to something that did not exist. And was there a particular priest that you remember in your childhood that inspired N they you? They were to all men. To, but can you remember <laughs> one that really had an it, impact on you? Well, there were several, really, um, who, they weren't priests at the time, mm. but they were in ministry. They were yeah. in lay ministry. And uh, there was something about the message. It was always about the message more than the person. 
And the message was good news. The message was about a God of love. You know, very often when we think of church or the Christian faith, we think of judgment and we think of people mm-hmm. saying you're sinful and all of that nonsense. And and the reality is, if you really engage with the Bible, it is about God's love. In what year could you become a priest? 1994 a was the first year that women were allowed to be priest in the Church of England. Right. Wow. And that was when I was also ordained a priest in the Church of England. And were you in Jamaica or were you in... No, I was here by yeah. then. I'd come back here to live. I came here and studied for tertiary purposes, then went back to Jamaica. My husband's a Geordie. Oh, and I love it. <laughs> we went to um, university in Newcastle. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I love the Geordie. Did you? Yeah, we, oh, lived, my we lived in Jesmond. Why I, man? Why I? Can he want to be Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and so he followed me out to Jamaica a year after I went back and we got married there and lived for a little while and then he wanted to come back so we came back. Okay. Um and and during that time applied for ordination training. Wow. Yeah. When you know that this is what your calling is, you do not allow the obstacles to get in the way and there will always be obstacles in all our paths even with regards to the modern day slavery work that mm. you do. Um, but you have to push through because that feeling within you is greater than the obstacles that are there. And now when you look at the church and the fact that it's been 20 years or more since women have become ordained and, and, and all about racial equalities, is, has, it, has it changed? In changing. 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 We're still not there yet. But then, you know, the reality is we're dealing with human beings. And with human beings, we have our flaws. Right. Change you know, can take time. Change takes time. And it needs to be more than a tick box exercise. Right. It has to be a change of heart and minds. That's what you're wanting to change. So, you know, it, take, it takes a while. And that's, I guess, kind of brings us neatly to modern slavery in a way because, you know, we've got this, we have got this big problem in society and with modern slavery, human trafficking. And, it does it does take time to change and to change to raise awareness like we're doing mm-hmm. you know to communicate to share that slavery exists mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. in a different way mm-hmm. you know it's it's kind of interesting to think that it does take time was there for you in your work with with cuz you're you're the bishop of dover mm-hmm. so you work with a, obviously a lot of people in your diocese yes, yes that's what you call it right yes okay good um and and was there a moment that you have been faced with modern slavery or exploitation where where it brought you to the work of of trying to end modern slavery? Mm. Because it, I think it started a long time ago, before I even got to the diocese. And I'm I'm an avid watcher of the news, and I remember the situation where people had lost their lives, the cockle pickers. Yeah. yeah. Morecambe Bay. Morecambe Bay, that's right. I remember that for me was the first time making the link mm. in terms of modern day slavery. And and then there were other programs as well where, you know, people from the local authority had gone into a house where lots and lots of people were seen going and coming and saw loads of beds on the floor. And, you know, so one began to say, Mm, this is not normal. So what is happening there in that context? Right. 
And, and when you see that, it is important that we don't just switch the television off and go back to having your dinner as if that's, you know, that's the normal thing to do. You begin to ask questions of those people. Why are they where they are? You know, who is advocating for them? What is their circumstances? And as you begin to dig deeper, you learn more, which is quite shocking in present day modern Britain. Right. Because that's something that Jules and I, our tagline really, you know, William Wilberforce, when he abolished slavery or helped abolish slavery, he said, you can choose to look the other way, but you can never say he did not know. And so it's the same thing yes. in a way. Like, yeah. Yes. We, you can't turn away from it. And, and, and that's the thing about advocating on behalf of somebody. You know, a lot of the time survivors or victims or people mm. within non-slavery don't, they don't know that they're in non-slavery. And, that, and, that, and that's sort of why awareness is our key mission because Vital. we believe that if everybody knew what we knew or saw something that we'd seen, surely everybody would mm. wake up and make this their mission. And because slavery is such a hidden crime in, what are we, 2023, yeah. people aren't necessarily aware of what's happening but it, but it, it's hidden. I think, mm. you know, thinking of my own background, you know, my my history is one of enslavement in terms of my people. And I say my people in terms of black people coming out of Africa and the enslavement that went on then. But that was over 200 years ago. So it is quite easy for us to think, even for those of us who have come from a history of enslavement, to think that, oh, that is just something from the past. Right. And that is why, as you say, the awareness, staying aware and being open to seeing it as it exists today, right. albeit in a different way. So there are no shackles mm. visually. Um, you know, no one is selling anyone in the marketplace visually. Uh, openly, mm. you know, but it is happening below ground um, and people are having their passports taken from them. They're having, you know, being told how to live and 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 the sort of bullying stuff that goes on mm -hmm. and and abuse that goes on in order to maintain a hold on those who um, are being in, engaged in in modern day slavery. Yeah. And Rose, tell us about the Kluwer Initiative mm. and how the Church of England, and we've experienced this firsthand, have done so much both in kind of detecting modern slavery, but in my opinion, the most important thing is the aftercare that the church mm. provides. And mm. we've witnessed that firsthand so many times. Mm. And I sometimes wonder where we would be without the support of the church and caring yes. for, for victims. Yes. The, the Clure Initiative began in, in 2016 um, with the Clure Sisters and it's it's an order of order of um, Saint John, uh, a group of Anglican nuns, and uh, they were keen to financially support work that is looking at those who are vulnerable in the community, those who are being trafficked. So specifically around this area of of modern day slavery. And from that, the sort of Clua initiative was born. And what it began with was to say, actually, the church is in every community right across mm -hmm. the country. And so the church can play a role in noticing, detecting what is happening. 
And that means not just walking with with um, those things on your eyes. Blinkers on. Yeah. Blinkers on, as it were. But actually looking around and seeing what is there and developing the strategies uh, um, that are needed to detect modern day slavery within the communities of which we are a part and, and help to provide victim support and care in, in effect. And, and so raising awareness and supporting of vulnerable groups are two of the main focuses and also collaborating with other groups as, as well within the community. Um, safe car wash apps. Yes. Um, farm working apps. Yes. And I believe there's also a nail bar apps. Three key areas where, you know, you go in and you're getting your nails done or you're getting your car washed. And, you know, and do we know, you know, can we sense, you know, what right questions can we ask, you know, about who those people are who are delivering that work? Are they getting paid directly or is their money being taken from them and, um, and, and only, you know, sort of giving them a little pocket money, et cetera. And what does that mean for their human dignity? And, and how do they fend for their families as well? So for me, it is about how do we project that which we want for ourselves with regards to others and then. And, and though, that's so beautifully said. Mm-hmm. And, and with those apps were all developed in partnership with the Clue Registry. Absolutely, yes. That's yes. brilliant. Yeah. But also, just to think about what you do every Sunday. Mm. You're every Sunday. You're in church. You're preaching. Mm. You're talking to communities. Yes. And obviously, you're not specific on modern slavery, but you're you're meeting so many people. Yes. Like the church is such an important role, and obviously the Clue Initiative. But you yourself and yes. and and the schools you go to, the the mm. the reach is is. Yes. It's, it is wide. It's brilliant. Very wide. Mm. And, you, you know, we might not be preaching about modern slavery every day, but one of the key messages, I think, that goes out every time we meet in that setting is about a God who loves. Yes. And not just some people, but all people. Right. And a God who values his creation, which is humanity is part of that creation. And and for us as Christians, if God values his creation, then we too, if we're going to profess that faith, we too must also show value to God's creation. We recently went to the Archbishop School mm-hmm. in Canterbury to um, talk um, to a bunch of students who had, were part of the Voices of Welcome program, which was all about um, the school welcoming refugees mm. into the school. Mm. Um, and so we met with, you know, people from Afghanistan, children from Ukraine, Syria. Syria mm. And um, and we had a lovely lunch. Mm. Um, and, you know, that for me really highlighted firstly what schools and education can do, but also what mm. you do as a as a bishop, as a, a person of such mm. standing in, in a society. Mm. Um but it also brought home a lot about what you know wh- the ways that church communities consistently look after um, people of who are displaced by war and conflict and prosecution and offering that vital support and protecting them from other forms of exploitation. So, you know, when we went to visit the school, these 
children are being looked after by the school and by the mm. church. And I just wondered, um, or we wondered, can you explain how the Church of England has helped support and empower refugees, mm. asylum seekers, other vulnerable populations who fall prey to exploitation, yes. modern slavery and trafficking? I think to begin with, there's a real commitment mm. to reach out to those who are lost, who are seen as least or are seen as the last. That's got to be our commitment. And and as part of that commitment, we have, for example, houses that are surplus to needs at the moment in terms of we don't have the clergy living in them and we're probably not going to be putting a clergy in. And so we've allocated those houses to be used by refugee families. Maybe. So, you know, say here is a place. We've also used houses too for prisoners, you know, you know, because that's another vulnerable group. Right. You know, they come out of prison, male or female, you know, their their families no longer need them or they can't go back to the community they came from because otherwise they'll go back into the situation. You know, so we provide uh, uh, accommodation. We also have uh, in our diocese one of our priests uh, whose focus is about fostering unaccompanied minors oh. um, who come over on 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 the on the boats so you know and and we work we we have a a, a worker dominica who was actually at the school when oh, we yes. were there who works with the, the women in particular um refugee women so creating a forum because here they are you know as women irrespective of our backgrounds culture or creed we have a passion for our children. You know, we want the best for our children. You know, so how do those women who are refugees, who are seeking asylum, who are in a strange environment, how do they share those passions? You know, who do they share that with? Yeah. So by creating the sort of forum where they can come together and do a bit of art work, and over the art, just talking, you know, it, that brings some form of healing as well. So they know that they're not alone. In another of our churches, we teach English. Oh, amazing. To newly arrived uh, uh, refugees. We've been doing it with the Ukrainians. We've done it with other groups as well. We also have uh, groups in particular of the younger, younger men, um, late teens, who we work with as well. So... A real sense of these are somebody's children, mm. you know, and ultimately they're God's children and we belong together. Totally. Mm. It's also like when you go into every town in England, I mean, I, I, when, I, when I went to um, Nicaragua, I noticed this, but the, all the villages are built around churches. Every center of the every center of every community, yes. and and when you go when you go on the train throughout England, you see your big cathedral. Yeah. You see this yeah. part. Oh, look like Durham Cathedral when we yeah. went yeah. Newcastle. You know, it's it's a it's that welcoming place. You know, so the church. Yeah. Is, You're right. It's it, such a kind of beacon of the center yes. of a yeah. community. Yeah. But yeah. how again to go back to like how amazing that the church offers that role for survivors or for people people who need the help, maybe who don't trust the police or, you know, don't want to talk about what yeah. they've been through in terms of slavery, you know, it, it's it's another... They have another avenue, another, as that's a good term, <laughs> safe haven, yes, yeah. 
a trusted place. Just mm. going back to the refugee point that you made, mm. um, back in March 2023, I think over 200 refugee children went missing mm. from a hotel near Brighton, just mm. reaffirming our ongoing challenge with mm. trafficking incidences in our own country as well as overseas. Mm. And I know that a charity has appealed to the High Court um, to make these children ward of court, but what else can be done to multiply and strengthen these efforts to find these poor children and other, mm. I'm sure, countless other yes. victims um, who've also mm. been um, enslaved? Yes. You know, there's an African saying which says, it takes a village to grow the child. Mm -hmm. You know, we like to think, oh, it's just me and mine and my child. You know, but it takes a village to grow the child. And what that is telling us is uh, that the whole community needs to be concerned. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, when something like that is highlighted, the whole community should be worried. The whole community ought to be saying, that could be my child. Yeah, it's so true. And it shouldn't always fall on you know? law enforcement. It's no, up to all no. of us. To... The whole community. That means, and we come back to this point again, being aware Mm. having our eyes open as we walk around. You know, one of the things I used to do when I lived and worked in Hackney, if I saw children on the streets after eight o'clock, I always stop and say, what are you doing out here so late? Yeah. Really? Oh, absolutely. I need your confidence to do that. <laughs> and whether I have my dog collar on or not, I would do it. <laughs> yeah. Because I come from a culture where the adults are responsible for all, all the children. children. Yeah. See, that's brilliant because that just doesn't, yeah. it's not really something in our communities. Yeah. yeah, It's 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 not British to do. And some, you know, my children who were born here, from time to time when they hear me on the street talking to other young people or children, they say, Mummy, you can't do that. They're not your children. And I would just smile and say, they're all my children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, totally. I do that on the bus. Yeah. So we need the kind of level of awareness when we see things to make a note of what we've just seen and then to check it out. And not to be afraid. And not to be afraid. Pulling it out. Yeah. Fear is such yeah. a thing that holds us oh, back, Oh, gosh, it? it does. It does. It bounds us. So that's a, that us. also mm. brings that, that point about what do people do? Mm. You know, how do you, how do you, how can you tell the public or the listeners mm. today mm. on how they can support the demographics that we mm. spoke about in terms of asylum seekers yes. or refugees? Yeah. One, one thing is, when you when you see something, you know, yeah. don't be afraid to... Don't be afraid to stop, to ask questions. Everybody's walking around with their phones today. Mm. They can take pictures of something that they've seen. Yeah. They can record a license plate and say, you know, to the police or if they want to do it um, indirectly, you know, there are these numbers that they can call and say, you know, I saw this license number. It might not be anything, but I'm not sure. And I just want you to know um, yeah. and, and to see what is possible if you know if in case something was going wrong so so we need to be aware you know if i ever saw the police for example stopping young black men in particular mm. or young people generally i would always stop and 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 make sure that the police were behaving appropriately were oh, dealing appropriately with a young wow. person really is important yeah that is brilliant. um so 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 we need that level of interest we need to look beyond what is right in front of us and just look outwards and 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 say there but for the grace of god goes i so i recall for example 
when um, I, I lived locally in Hackney, that there were young people who were having difficult times in 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 their living accommodation. My children were away at university, and I immediately said, "Come, come and stay at my place. Come and stay with me." And and I remember thinking, you know, I hope that if my children ever go abroad, and and something goes wrong, that so, they would find somebody. Mm. Somebody would find them and say, "Come." Yeah. You know, and and that has been a real blessing to be able to say that could be my child. And so it's important that I... I love this message of kind of community ownership Mm. that Mm. you have. And we often say, you know, ask the question and Mm. don't be afraid to ask the question. If you're curious in everybody's life that you come into contact with, make them feel heard. and, And that's also a way of raising awareness for modern slavery by just being aware of the people around you and the circumstances yes. and, yeah. and what could be happening yes. right under our yeah. noses. And, and look at people, look at people, look in their eyes. You can see sometimes from the, the eye communication that someone yeah. is looking a little bit sad or, you know, might be a little bit down. And for you to get alongside in a discreet way and says, are you okay? Yeah. You know, and, and that might be an opportunity for them to say, I'm not yeah. or help, you know. So, so we've we've just got to be much more open and recognize uh, the gift of another life, because that's what we all are—the gift to each other—and um, and and recognize mm. it and and work towards the well-being and wholeness of each other. What we're talking about now is we're really just we're getting into the nitty-gritty. We're in we're into each village. We're into each town. How vital is it for cross-sectoral um, collaboration in conquering modern slavery and, and helping? Absolutely vital, because what we need to remember is that it's not a competition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not a competition. We're working together for the same cause. And perhaps what we need to do in collaborating with one another is to say, what are your strengths? Yeah. What is your organization mm-hmm. best at? And what is yours? And how, you know, how do we let you do that which you're stronger at and, and, and then we find that other thing that we might be stronger at, etc., so that we can work yeah. together in order to achieve the goal yeah. of a society and a community where all are free, truly free, and not um, bound by modern slavery or other um, situations. Right. Yeah. And what do you think we can do to kind of readdress the narrative around modern slavery and human trafficking to make sure that kind of public discourse is accurate and evidence-based? You know, that's a very important um, issue you have raised. I feel embarrassed and saddened that in our society today, our political leaders are creating a kind of discourse that leaves us as a society othering some mm. people and, and, and puts them in a place where they are of no value. You know, the only reason we treat people and enslave other human beings is because we do not think they're as human as we are. Mm, totally. That's what it is. Yeah. Because if they were as human as you are, you would never, no. you would never do it. 
So what I want from our governments and, and those engaged in public discourse is to stop the, the, the kind of rhetoric yeah. that is only trying to achieve political momentum. Mom- yeah, we've just got to stop that because we're, we're drawing a group of people in that then it then becomes damaging to the community. Um, and, and, and I want to, you know, for example, what, what, I, what we hear now is, oh, we're, we're going to stop the people smugglers and the, you know, but, but, but by taking people against their will to Rwanda or wherever mm. else it is that we're taking them, we are engaging in smuggling people as well. I could not agree <laughs> We're engaging in, in, in smuggling, people Two smuggling. wrongs that make a right. Exactly. Yeah. We need to be looking at source. If we really want to make a difference, we need to be asking, why are these people leaving their countries of origin? Why are they coming? Is it war? And we see what's happening in Ukraine. Mm. Look at what's happening in Sudan. What happened in Afghanistan? But even if you were to, even to think of Afghanistan, there might not be any wars uh, going on in terms of people shooting and and bombs dropping etc but look at what is happening with young girls and women in afghanistan mm. you know mm. of course they're going to want to flee that situation and where in the world might they be able to go if they have no safe yeah. routes to go mothers are going to do all that they can Fathers are going to do all that they can to smuggle their children out of that environment and get them to a country, to Britain, to France, to wherever, to a place where they can be safe, a place where they can be educated and make a difference. So so we sit in our ivory towers and say, well, you know, they can afford to pay people smugglers. Of course they're going to, because the situation they're coming from is dire. dire. Absolutely. And that's why... Since we started working in the world of modern slavery, the numbers are actually sadly increasing, not decreasing as we'd hoped. It's because there, over the last decade, there are just more and more displaced people coming from dire situations. Yeah. And that is the root yeah. cause. Yes. And climate change yeah. is going to be another yeah. added. That. That's yeah. going to be another added thing uh, uh, as well. And, and so we also need to be working internationally, yeah. you know, it's not a game between Britain and France with, you know, yeah. who comes and who's trying to cross over. We've got to work. Inter- yes, channel. we've got to work internationally to begin to address some of those issues at root. Um, how do we invest in those countries um, so that people can provide for their families? You know, what makes me laugh is when I hear commentators say, oh, they're not real refugees or asylum seekers. They are. Um, what do they refer? They're economic migrants, mm. and I'm thinking to myself, but the British were <laughs> economic sort of migrants. <laughs> yeah, the British were economic migrants when they travelled all over the world. You know, that's why they went to Africa and Asia and the Caribbean because they wanted to improve their lives. But we frame it so differently. Yes, yes. they Going were back to the kind of narrative. Yeah, and they the were pioneers. Yeah. They were pioneers. Yeah. We don't refer to people who have had such a horrible journey. Yeah to get here or to get to America as pioneers. We don't refer to them as pioneers. We call them aliens. (laughs) So true. Yes.
Um, so, Rose, you've you've done extensive work advocating for racial equality mm. in your various roles um, as Commissioner of the Church of England's Racial Justice Commission and as the Bishop of Dover. Um, can you tell us how your work to advance racial equality has also influenced your efforts to combat modern slavery and exploitation? You know, at the heart of the whole area of racial justice, I come back to that point, is the fundamental thing of we are human beings. Yeah. You know, so the color of my skin will prevent some people from relating to me because they think I'm not as good as or I'm not good enough. And uh, and then we take that attitude. If we don't address it there at root, we then take that attitude to people who they sound different, they speak another language, mm. you know, and, and, and we, we... So it does inform the other. So what I'm trying to say now, let's see each... Let's recognize each other's humanity. There's a wonderful South African word called Ubuntu. Oh, I love, I love that yes. word. Ubuntu. I am because you, you are. I am because you are. It is in our relating to each other. You know, I'm looking at you. You're not a chair. I can see the smile in your eyes. I can see the expression on your face. So I know that you're hearing me and that we are connecting. And so that makes me know that I am. I'm not a chair either. No. I am. You've actually explained it so much better than anyone else has, that <laughs> phrase. Rose, we normally like to end on asking for a story of mm. hope, but I mm. feel like you've actually woven in so many wonderful kind of diamonds of hope mm. throughout mm. the entire conversation. So I guess I'll reframe it and say, what do you hope for? Mm. What, what do you hope to see in the next mm. few years, months, weeks? decades in the flight or fight even against yeah. modern slavery. Yes. I think my hope and my dream and uh, uh and what I'm going to work for because you know we don't just hope for it. Um we you know there's that wonderful pop song if you want to see change take a look at the man in the mirror. Sing oh, yeah. It. Yeah, <laughs> take a look at the man in the mirror. Yeah. And, you know, the man in the mirror, you look in the mirror and you see yourself. And so you recognize that the change that you want to see begins with you. Yeah. So that's part of my message as I go out, uh, you know, in my sermons and in my conversations with people, that you or we are agents of change. Don't expect somebody else to do it. Don't leave it for yeah. somebody else. You stop and you deal with it. And so my hope is to continue to share that message of us as a community being agents of change. Let's not wait on the political leaders to do it. We're going to do it. Um, I want to see more people on the streets marching for us to take note of humanity. Mm -hmm. We are all accountable. Absolutely. We're all accountable. So that is my hope, that is my dream, and that is what I'm going to work for as well. I'm right behind you. Yeah, we'll do that with you. <laughs> Blessings. And thank thank you. you. Thank you both for your work and, uh, and all that you bring to the Anti-Slavery Collective. 
all that you bring to that, bringing different groups together um, for the sake, you know, and actually what you're doing, you're contributing to a better world. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Rose. Yeah, you've, you've made our day. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much to the wonderful Rose Hudson-Wilkin for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as we enjoyed being there. She's such a beacon of light. Make sure you join us next week where we'll be chatting to Cindy Dyer. Cindy is an American attorney who has served as ambassador at large to monitor and combat trafficking in persons for almost two years over in the United States. Her work supporting survivors of trafficking is truly remarkable. And in the meantime, have a look at the episode notes for loads of useful information about how you can help us in the fight against modern slavery. And we'll see you next week. Floodlight is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.